Hello and welcome to episode 67 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Jim Givens, creator and editor. Jim is currently running a Kickstarter for Camp Bitter Lake. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. Jim, thanks so much for being on the, uh, the podcast. Why don't you lead us off with a uh, short bio about yourself and uh, your comics and uh, what you got going on? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, hi, I'm Jim. Uh, longtime comics person. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, I probably like uh, maybe most well known for my stint as an editor at Dark Horse Comics, which I did for six years. Um, but like my first my first job right out of college, I was working at Wizard Magazine, which is where I started. I was like doing a lot of stuff for their website and running their message boards. Um, and then that as, as, uh, as happened with so many magazines and, and many poorly run magazines, uh, it went out of business and staff got laid off. And thankfully, uh, Dark Horse had a position at the time and I moved across the country and was in their PR department and, and then moved over into editing and did that for a long time, a lot of good stuff. And then, uh, moved on to a startup called Stila Comics where we did digital comics, uh, vertical scrolling digital comics for about a year. And, and then kind of shifted out of that to do freelance editing and pursue some writing of my own. So, so yeah, that's, that's the last, the short version on the last decade. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Uh, just before we move past the wizard comics, um, our wizard magazine, by chance, do you watch the, uh, cartoonist kayfabe where they go page by page through those uh th through those old magazines no you know i actually haven't yet and and i'm i'm really interested but like on one level i feel like at this point it's a weird thing because I, I think my first issue of the magazine as an intern was maybe like 197 or okay. something like that so so i i figure when they get there for sure <laughs> but but no i mean it's it's uh i've heard great things about it I've, I've watched some little clips on my instagram and stuff like that but it but it's kind of one of those things where where it's like uh you know occasionally I'm, I'm like am i too close to this am i gonna am i gonna not you know and still it's probably they're probably 15 plus years removed from my experience at the magazine but but it's always that question of like will will this appeal to me in the same way um <laughs> i'm sure it would i've heard nothing but good things yeah. Did you get your dark horse job because of the contacts that you made working at wizard or was it just something that, you know, was just something out of like, you know, sending your resume around? No. Yeah. It was, it was actually, um, it was a hundred percent, I think through contacts from the, from the wizard job. Um, it was, I was kind of on the tail end of a series of layoffs for uh, wizard that were all like pretty newsworthy at the time. So when it mm. happened, like the, I think it was hours after people heard about it, um, like Jonah Weiland, you know, at the time owned and ran comics, uh, comic book uh, resources. He called me up within a few hours and was like, hey, let's get you on some freelance work. Let's, let's do all that. And so I was freelancing for CBR for a little while and, and actually um, timely in this regard, but like Baltimore Comic Con was like, I think the first thing I covered for them. Um, nice. but then, yeah, it was like really lucky timing. A buddy of mine saw that dark horse had a, a publicity job open and I was actually the dark horse contact at wizard, uh, prior to getting let go. So it was like just really fortuitous timing. I think we did like a few phone interviews and then they were like, all right, you're hired, get out here in two weeks. And, uh, and it was all good, but it was definitely like one of those, you know, comics has that, uh, kind of incestuous streak where it's like <laughs> people move around between different companies and comics all the time. 
uh, but it really benefited me uh, at that point. So it was good. Yeah. So like uh, a lot of industries, it's uh, not, uh, it, well, one of the things is like who you know. So it seems like in comics, that's, uh, that's true there as well. Yeah, I was really fortunate too. Mel Kylo, um, who's been at Boom and Top Cow, he's been all over the place. And Brian Cunningham, who's now a editor at DC, I think a senior editor at DC, maybe maybe even a group editor. He's <laughs> starting to keep up on people's titles all the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, but no, Brian and Mel like both put in a really good word for me at Dark Horse, and I think that went a long way. And and it's just kind of that thing where I look back and I'm like, I'm glad I I hustled, you know, whatever was the right amount <laughs> as an intern and then as a young employee that they. Uh, they were happy to put in that good word. So, uh, but yeah, it's one of those things like, would, would I have gotten the call or the interview without those guys? I don't know. And you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's for sure the case in comics, but it's kind of universal professional advice. If you, if you work hard in front of the right people, I guess they'll, they'll be, they'll be kind to you, <laughs> put you in touch with other people. Very cool. That's very uh, cool. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's turn our attention to, to your Kickstarter that you got going on right now. It's uh, it's for, uh, Camp Bitter Lake, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, so I think like uh, the kind of short origin story of it was about a year ago. I had uh, I was kind of editing full time, but I really wanted to get into writing a little bit more. Um, I had a few ideas, and so I put out a call. I think it was on Twitter originally, and I was just you know I was like, hey, I got a few ideas. I'm looking for people to collaborate. You know, their their pitches or you know loose scripts. I need someone to help me develop characters, all that jazz. Um, and I was looking for co-creators essentially. And at a certain point, Julie Oliveira, who's the artist and co-creator of Camp Bitter Lake, I think she got in touch with me through that. And, and, uh, around that time, I, I just looked at her website and immediately, like, I just love the vibe of her art. They just, it appealed to me in the number of ways. There was kind of this like, uh, feel of like those kind of small town, or like country monster stories, which like I'm from like the Midwest and like that just really appeals to me. It, it just clicked right away. And it's funny cause Julie's from like New York. So I don't, I don't know, like <laughs> if I, I'm, I'm seeing what I wanted to see in it, but like, I loved it. And, and it didn't really seem like to me, it, it felt kind of the, the look I was uh, potentially going for in a few other comics, but I, I loved it. And so I think we just started talking and then the conversation kind of turned to like, well, should we talk about developing something together? Like we have a lot of common interests. We clearly are like having a good chat via email and all that. And, and slowly, like probably over the course of a few months, like Camp Bitter Lake, which we went through like a few versions of characters and all that. But, but yeah, the, the initial bits of it came together and, and then, uh, yeah, and it was just a lot of fun. It was one of those things where it, it was very organic and, and, um, we were just having a good time with it. And then we're like, oh, I guess we should put together, you know, an official pitch document now that we have all these notes down and then we should do a little sample story and all that. And, and yeah, it's, it's been a good time. It's been a lot of fun. Julie's a really talented artist and a really just like gracious collaborator, really good to work with. So, uh, it's been a, it's been a dream so far, which is not every comics project. So, I'm, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really pleasant. And would you mind telling us and the listeners a little bit about Camp Better Lake, about the uh, the premise and the the the, the twenty pages that are going to be a part of the Kickstarter? Yeah. So um, Camp Bitter Lake is essentially like the high the or like the elevator pitch, right? Is it's um it's uh, spooky summer camp stories for kids that take place uh, in a summer camp right next to Area Fifty One, and so it's kind <laughs> of got that you know it's it's all the potential spookiness of 
of uh, your typical kind of like uh, summer camp horror type stuff. Um, obviously a bit more lighthearted because it's for kids, but, um, but we were talking a lot about, you know, we really both like love our monsters and cryptids and aliens and stuff like that. And, and I think I, I went to summer camp for years. And, and so I feel like that was maybe something I introduced into the conversation initially uh -huh. when we were kicking around ideas. And then all of a sudden it was just this thing where it's like, okay, we've got all of this fun monster stuff we want to do. We've got kind of the background of um, my summer camp experience that I really wanted to tap into, but to a degree, you know, it's like, it's just, it, you know, universal kid experiences. Um, I think a few of the characters are more influenced by my experience. A few of the characters, a little bit more of my Julie's. Um, but generally like the, the initial story we're doing is kind of just an introduction to the world. Um, kind of done in like a standalone Scooby-Doo style mystery where, uh, some some stuff happens there's some clues and then the kids start to figure out what's up and it's, it's two brothers and then two two uh two young girls and they're a group of friends and they've kind of come together at camp based on their love of mysteries and trying to figure things out and each of them's a little different but obviously you know they they unite on some certain stuff so um but yeah the goal was just to kind of tell the type of fun story that we might have both wanted to read when when we were that age and I've got a young son and I've got nieces and nephews and I, I like can never get them out of my head when I'm writing stories. It's great because I'm like, Oh, what would they like? What, you know, and, and it's become a real influence of just like, I want to tell stories that they can read and see and all that. So, um, it was a little rambling, but I think that's, <laughs> well, you answered all my gist. questions. So we might as well just enter, end the interview now. Just, yeah. It's, and know, it's obviously very good. Off. So everyone yeah. can give us a bunch of money and we'll make a bunch yeah. of comics and life will be good. That's, no, that's... I was I was going to ask you about the all ages thing because that's something, you know, especially in comics, there's not a there's not enough of that, but what there mm -hmm. is is pretty amazing. You know, you have uh you know, the 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 industry sort of comics as as the as themselves are niche, you know, it's a niche market. And then if you want to get even more niche, there's the all ages comics that, you know, aren't specifically geared towards kids but are family friendly that you know adults and kids can enjoy so something like someone like jeff smith is like a you know a, a, like a like you know is, is like a novelty within the comics industry because of his all ages books that are sort of can be appreciated by all ages so i was yeah. going to ask you about what 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 led you to do that and it, it's cool to hear that you know basically just a love of telling stories to kids yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think some of it um, for me definitely was, you know, I grew up going to summer camp. And so a lot of my experience experiences from that were kind of, you know, I was like that tween kid, you know, like uh, 10, 11, 12, or those are some really formative memories. But then it is kind of that thing where it's like, you know, I, I feel like before I had a kid, I was like, oh, I've got a, I've got a detective story in me. I've got like a gritty sci-fi story in me or whatever. But then, you know, it's like I became a dad and perspective changed a little bit. And I had I have nieces and nephews prior to my son being born. And it just became this thing of like, okay, well, what do I really want to, you know, I, I guess, I guess to back up a little bit when I, when I'm working with somebody uh, as an editor, I always kind of get to like, okay, well, whatever your story is about, whether it's like nights in the middle ages or whether it's, you know, science fiction thousands of years in the future, a story has to be about something that people can relate to mm -hmm. right now as human beings. Um, and so, uh, for me, a lot of what I wanted to tell stories about has become 
uh, kind of like the messages I want my kid to eventually see in media. And I feel like we're very fortunate to be in kind of a, a really nice age of like with, you know, stuff like Craig of the Creek and Steven Universe and Adventure Time and all this. There's all sorts of really interesting uh, storytelling being done for young kids that helps them kind of explore complex feelings with uh, some sometimes very just like ludicrous, silly stuff, sometimes very heartfelt stuff. Um, but I love that stuff. And, and I'm like, okay, how can we do this? And, and what do we want to do? And, and it was really lucky that like when me and Julie started talking, I was like, you know, the stuff that I put on the table, she was like, oh, that's great. Well, what about this? And what about that? And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And then it just kind of spiraled into this thing that um, is, I think, very personal to us. And yet at the same point is, is not at all about being personal and is so much about just like, well, let's just have fun with it. Now that, <laughs> now yeah. that we know at the heart of it, it's very personal. Let's also just have a good time with it. But, but, and I'm, I'm going on a little bit here, but I think uh, sometimes like there's stuff that YA comics do that I feel like is, if you don't have the shock and awe of like a page turn where there's uh you know, a gruesome violence or some of that stuff, I feel like sometimes you have to go like, okay, well, it's at the real heart of this story. How I'm going to mm-hmm. hit emotions and, you know, get people, get people excited or the thrills and chills, but then also hit on those emotional notes. And so I love that challenge. And, and I, I throw back when I was working at Dark Horse, one of my favorite projects I worked on that, and, and me and the creator have joked about it, but no one really read it, but I uh, did a book with David Lapham of, you know, of Stray Bullets fame mm-hmm. uh, called The Juice Squeezers. And it was like a bunch of kids after middle school who would go down into these tunnels under their city and they would fight giant bugs. <laughs> it was like it was super goofy but it was so much fun to work on and and I th- I always I don't know that David ever told me this explicitly but it seemed very informed by his experience as a father and I loved it loved working on it and I think he joked with me at one point like probably only me him and his kids wanted to read more of it like <laughs> it I don't know if it was just like it hit at the wrong time or the marketing was a little tough or people just know him for crime comics not kids comics but I loved that book and and it was kind of that thing where when I was looking to do some other stuff too I was like well I how do I recapture the like just youthful exuberance I felt working on a story like that and I was like well maybe I'd do a story for a similar audience yeah is there that a series I could search out like I could how many issues of that are exist in the world there's uh I think it's five issues there's like a one shot that uh, that we did in Dark Horse Presents and then um four issues after that and probably all collected in the trade. I know it's on Comixology at least. Um, I would presume uh, it, you could probably get it through Dark Horse's website or something like that as well. Um, uh, again, it's a shame. You know, a, a lot of comics come out every year, a lot of really good comics that don't quite find their audience uh, mm-hmm. for one reason or another. And that one for me was always like my, um, I don't know, this is probably the wrong metaphor for it, but like my, my white whale type comic of like, I just wish it could have, been more successful and we could have done more of it but uh but yeah it's a good one. it's a fun one it's a fun one highly recommended if you're into ya comics it's a blast yeah i'll definitely have to look for it and especially working with dark horse you probably saw a lot of that because you know dark horse is all about the one in the series you know whether it's through dark horse presents or their other anthologies that they do um what was it like working on those yeah i mean um dark horse presents i worked on for geez, at least three years or so. And that, I mean, it was, it was a wild ride. And thankfully, like very much a team effort in a lot of regards, like 
if I was editing half the stories, usually there were another handful of episode or um, handful of editors or two or three editors kind of helping with stories. And obviously Mike Richardson, the head of the company oversaw the whole thing, but, um, but it's like, it's like wrangling cats in a lot of ways. But um, the fun part about it was it almost always allowed you to work on stuff that might have otherwise been a little harder to get approved. Um, because when you're doing it in Dark Horse Presents, you're like, oh, we're doing this for variety. We're doing it for the sake of showcasing all sorts of different things versus um, when you take a book in and you go, all right, how do we sell four issues of this to an audience? Right. Um, but at the same point, I feel like the thing that I learned a lot and has really kind of like been this thing I keep turning over as, a, as, a, as an editor and a publisher, as a freelance editor, as a, as a writer and creator now is like, how how do you really tell a story that you want to tell, but also make sure you're connecting with an audience who wants to read it? It was one of the things that really appealed to me about eventually trying this thing as a Kickstarter, which, you know, uh, how many people do you really need to get a book to to be successful as a Kickstarter versus to have a book be successful in the direct market? It's mm-hmm. really challenging to uh, with as many books as there are every week to get 20, 30, 40,000 people to go, okay, I'm going to take my spare three bucks and buy this versus through Kickstarter where you can go directly to people and you can say, Hey, in the next month, we're going to get you a digital issue that you can pop on your e-reader and give to your kid. Mm-hmm. And if they like it, we're going to try and do this again in another few months and we're just keep at it. And maybe that audience that sustains you is only a couple hundred people, but you're probably making a similar amount of money or maybe even more money than you would based on some publishing deals. And then you have a direct connection to your audience, which I think is pretty unique and a nice thing to have. Yeah, no kidding. That's uh that, that's definitely like, you know, the um, almost like print by demand kind of deal that you've got going on there. And, you know, the cuts down on, of course, the waste because it's digital, that kind of mm-hmm. thing, but also the, um, yeah, like you said, it's a nice relationship then you've got going on with an audience. That's got to be gratifying too, to know that people want to read your book month to month and being able to see that directly has got to be a rewarding experience. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, and so far, right. It's, it's a little bit of a, a noble experiment. You know, the hope is, yeah. the hope is that, um, we can gain the, and, and we've had a great first couple of days on the Kickstarter, mm-hmm. um, nearly, I think we're at like 80% funded in, in wow. less than 48 hours, which is great. Um, but we also have a pretty modest goal. And so the idea was kind of like, all right, if we kind of go into this with a, a small achievable goal of telling like a fun standalone, you know, single issue story and getting that to an audience, then we can, you know, build that audience a little bit and ideally do it over and over again. But, um, but yeah, I think the thing is, you know, we, we went through the pitch process. We, we got, you know, a few different publishers who are like, we like this, but not now, or we like this, but not quite, or we're going to do this. And then we kind of got a little farther into it and it just didn't click. And, um, Julie and I are kind of, I think, fortunate enough to both have day jobs that pay the bills yeah. that when it came to, uh, hitting this little bit of a point where we're like, man, we haven't just like worked on this comic in a while. We want to just tell the story at this point. We could go, okay, let's do a Kickstarter and let's, you know, let's make the money we need to pay a designer and a letter and all that. And then let's just get into telling the story and do the fun part of making comics, which is not hustling and emailing people and hassling them, which is also a challenge when you have like, you know, you're working eight hours a day and commuting and all that. 
Um, and then it was also just felt very liberating. As soon as we made the decision to do it, I feel like we both like the, the tone of our emails, I feel like was just immediately like, all right, let's go. We were like so excited about it again. Um, and so, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see how it goes. But, but at the end of the day, it got us working on a story and, and gave us an outlet and, you know, Kickstarter's, uh, imperfect in ways. And yet at the same point, that's kind of the very liberating thing about it where we can go out and we maybe only find in this first Kickstarter, 200 people to kick us a little money, but, um, and that's a small audience, you know, but 200 people <laughs> would never get you picked up at a publisher. And yet we can now go make a comic with maybe just 200 people and then improve upon that as we go, hopefully. Wow. Very, that's awesome. Very cool. So I have a, I have a bit of a, a story question uh, mm -hmm. with an all ages book. How do you handle um, writing a book for, for a child? You know, a lot of times children don't want to be, they don't want to be talked down to, mm -hmm. but they don't want to be, you know, there, there's the, the sort of like the the goosebumps like i want to be scared but i don't want to be scared too too much so like how do, how do you handle like how do you handle that no it's funny um my son is two and a half which is arguably too young for scooby-doo mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh but no recently it's been like i think i put it on for him because it's you know, it's october and i'm like oh it's spooky but it's for kids and he 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 loves it but he's scared of it and at a certain point, my wife was like, I think maybe he's just too young. And I'm like, you're right. He is. And, and it's kind of a weird thing. But yet he, every time I go, let's turn it off. He's like, no, let's keep watching. <laughs> and Aww. he'll go, I'm scared. And then I'll go, and I'm like, you're, you can't. And it's kind of that thing where, where it's like, oh, right. He, he cannot necessarily go, this is too scary for me right now. I got to turn it off because he's too young. But I do think kids hit an age where they kind of know what's for them and they know what's not for them and all that. And, Mostly with this book, I mean, I think, you know, I've got, um, I worked at uh, summer camps growing up as well. So I, I kind of worked with kids in that capacity. And then um, more recently, uh, my nieces and nephews who are a little bit more in the age range that this book is for. I think, I think you just kind of like, thankfully, I feel like as, as a writer for this age group, uh, I've been around kids in this age group, which is helpful. <laughs> okay. um, so that's, that's been really helpful. But I think the main thing is you got to kind of, uh, I think it's, it's a little bit like kids, you can talk to kids like adults. It's kind of uh, in my mind, a little bit more um, the language you use. Like you don't, you don't, kids are smart. You don't need to treat them like they're stupid, but also they might not have the same vocabulary. So it's, it's a matter of like, choosing how you talk to them about the same stuff, not, um, not choosing to talk down to them about anything. So that's something kind of going through the, the book where, and the nice thing too is because me and Julie worked on this for so long, the characters began to kind of feel very, um, you just kind of got, I, I think we both got more of a sense for who the characters were. So then when we sat down to write and go over the dialogue and stuff like that, it was like, you know, things felt organic or not. And it wasn't a matter of like, oh, well, this is, this is how exactly how a 12-year-old uh, would talk or whatever it was. It was like, this, is, this feels how this character would talk. And they're also not like, you know, talking about uh, politics or their mortgage or <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever else. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, and I think the other thing too was then, then at a certain point, like I had my nephew, one of my nephews read the story and mm. he liked it, so, <laughs> so, which was, which was really gratifying and reassuring that I was like, all right, we didn't, we didn't screw it up. This is fun. Um, he didn't yeah. come, he didn't come back with a, uh, you know, a bunch of red 
marks and this is what you did wrong and this is this is where you, you can improve yeah i i mean probably give him a few more years and and he would have but thankfully <laughs> thankfully he's maybe a little bit before that age of uh giving me like harsh criticism about my work um that's probably when i'll become like a really good writer is when all of a sudden my nieces and nephews and kid are like oh well dad here's what's wrong here's what's wrong <laughs> <laughs> But that'll keep you fresh and keep you innovating. Um, It will. It will. I mean, it's funny, you know, working uh, the kind of editor creator relationship in a lot of ways reminds me of times kind of working. um, I mean, I don't know. I'm an older brother too. Like there's always this little bit of a sense of um, you're kind of a peer with somebody and yet in, in ways you have to kind of guide them. Mm. And not as though you're their you're their parent, because obviously, like as an editor, you're you're kind of a collaborator with any sort of creator. But yet, at the same point, you're also kind of there to at times be like, "Hey, is this such a good idea? Maybe we should maybe we should think about this a little bit more." You're kind of there to help gut check people. And uh, the funny thing is, in my I mean, maybe it's not funny. Maybe it makes perfect sense, but um, sometimes it seems less obvious. But in my experience, the people that are interested in working with an editor and really interested in improving and really interested in getting those gut checks are often the people that I think improve the most throughout each project. And then you often want to work with them again and again and again. And, um, and those are the people I often think as well have like some of the longer, more successful careers. Cause at a certain point they can say to themselves, yeah, I'm good. I, you got to have a little confidence, right? Like you can't think you are just terrible, but at the, at the same point, if you, if you think you've know it all, uh, which is the thing I feel like I'm always trying to fight against. It's like, if I think I know everything, then I'm sure I'm wrong because mm. I can't. So that's, that's kind of the thing I remind myself of. And, and uh, thankfully in, in terms of this book, there's some kids around me who've reminded me of the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. And do you know, uh, you brought up a great point earlier about, um, you know, what, what, what the message I guess, or the, the, the common emotional grounding of a story is. And especially when you're working in science fiction, you probably know this from working on like, yeah, the, the science fiction anthologies and things like that. You know, uh, a concept isn't enough to sell a story. Mm-hmm. You know, you gotta have characters and you gotta have a bit of a heart to your story. And once you have that, you have a universal story right there that it doesn't matter what age or demographic or, um, anything is reading it. If it's, if it's a good story at its heart, it, it's easy to tell to anyone, um, especially kids, you know, if, you know, it's why something like star Wars resonated with like, you know, so many people of so many ages and things like that originally. Um, oh, for sure. For you sure. know, or, or like, you know, you brought up how there, we're living in this golden age of young adult fiction, like Steven universe and um, gravity falls where like, you know, mm-hmm. those, those shows speak to adults just as well as they do to kids, just because the concept is, is not just a concept. It's, it's a story with heart and uh, a lot of love poured into the characters. It, and I uh, think, I think there's so much, I mean, and, and regardless of your opinion of it um, and I haven't seen it, so I won't weigh in on whether it's good or not, but like you look at the new Joker movie, right? It's like a, a, a dark gritty focused movie focused on the Joker. 
And, you know, there's plenty of that. There's, there's loads of stuff out there. If you want something that's, that's going to be, you know, serious or gritty or really delve into, you know, the depths of the human psyche and all that, there's, there's plenty of media out there for you to investigate if that's your thing. You know, right. novels, TV shows, books, movies, uh, tons of stuff. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit more maybe of the mentality that, like, we could also all use uh, – be reminded of kind of the ways we don't need to be as serious and, and can be a kid again and can just kind of enjoy things and focus on things differently. Um, and so to that regard, you know, I think probably some of that is why you have a show like an adventure time out there or like a Steven universe that does hit the level of success because obviously they're, they're great shows for kids and they, and they discuss a lot of stuff that kids maybe aren't going to find in, in some kids shows that are a little bit more uh, surface level, if you will. Um, but I think the thing that's why they appeal to grownups and stuff like that too, is because they hit on all the same stuff we've all been dealing with since we've been kids, you know, whether it's self-worth or challenges or things that are difficult, you know, like, um, it's just, we want to see ourselves reflected in stories in those ways. And I, you know, like, and, and maybe the Joker is a counterexample again, I haven't seen it, but like, that's not a story I can relate to as much, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, which is well, good. I'm no. very glad. I'm very yeah, glad I can't relate yeah. to it. Well, there's the, there's the, um, you know, the, 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 the old, you know, adage of storytelling where it's, you know, uh, drama is uh, easy and comedy is hard. You know, it's so mm -hmm. much, it, it is, I don't know, like, I mean, I'm not taking away from people who write dramas or anything like that or, or dark suckies because I love the Joker. It was a great movie. It's probably one of the favorites of the year. But like something like, I felt just as moved watching the Joker as I did watching Toy Story 4. You know, that kind of thing. Like sure. I, those, the, uh, and things like Toy Story or like Bone or Calvin and Hobbes, things like that um, are so dear to so many people because of how mm -hmm. rare they are, mm -hmm. you know, that like something like that just doesn't come around very often. And especially in like a, in a visual medium, you know, you don't, you know, that's why people like Dr. Seuss will sort of be like held in esteem till like, you know, the end of time. Sure. You know, because he gave something to everyone that everyone can appreciate at some level, which is such a difficult thing to do. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of, uh, it's a challenge to make mm -hmm. something that is sort of a, can be, appreciated at, by a young kid but also an adult and i think that's something exciting to be a part of i, I don't know about you but like that's got to yeah. be an exciting challenge to find that 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 audience right there yeah i mean we're and and both you know julie and i are very happy with <laughs> the way the story has progressed and how we put it together yeah. and hopefully we do that you know what i mean it's always yeah. one of those things where it's like it's been it's been a lot of fun i think we've had a blast working on this thing um, people who have, who have seen some of it already have, have been very positive, but also, you know, they're mostly like friends and family. So, you know, <laughs> thank, that's, thanks. that's always very nice, but, uh, you know, I, I think they'd probably tell me if it really sucked, which I, <laughs> think good. but, um, but you know what I mean? It'll be nice to kind of get this out there to, to a few more people and, and see, but, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like, um, I think the fun thing about it too is. Um, while we tried to put a lot of thought into every character and their arc and like this first, this first issue is, is like kind of the main character arc is between two brothers and one of the brothers, um, who's a little bit more like our true believer trying to like convince the other brother to like 
really investigate something supernatural and also do something to help out his older brother. And I, I have a brother. And so like, and we both went to summer camp together. And so it was kind of like one of those, like, all right, let's write what you know a little bit type things, but also touch on um, some stuff that's like, you know, it's not a one-to-one of me and my brother's relationship, but it's something that I was like, I have a lot of thoughts on brotherly relationship and, and kind of like the friendship of young boys, which I had, I had friendships with my brother and other young friends at the time. And I have, I have a young son. So I was like, let's delve into this. But then, you know, if all goes according to plan and we get to do more issues of that, the goal is to jump in to, uh, the other characters and tell their stories, which are, which are about very different arcs. Um, but the thing that at the end of the day, I think, like you're talking about, right? The, the hope is that we can appeal to adults. They see something in this story and they go, oh, this is cool. This is interesting. I, I find the, this entertaining, but also I'm glad uh, my kid is finding it entertaining. And hopefully the kid yeah. finds it entertaining as well. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's uh, potentially a lot to try and uh, accomplish. But, you know, fingers crossed. We've we've pulled it off. <laughs> uh, yeah, and how many issues do you have planned out right now? Well, it's interesting. Like on a process level, we um, at a certain point we had uh, essentially an, an outline for an eighty-page graphic novel. Oh, it was wow. kind of our initial story. Um, probably the most finished version of the story at a, at a certain point during the the creation process. Um, and that's what we were pitching around. And then when we decided to do a Kickstarter, we're like, you know, doing a Kickstarter for a whole 80 page graphic novel, we're going to have to ask for a lot more money. It's going to take um, me a lot longer to write. It's going to take Julie a lot longer to draw. And we were kind of like, well, let's give this a shot. Let's do, let's do a one shot. Um, you know, it's, it's essentially the goal, uh, what we would have probably done or what the plan was to do in the, the graphic novel was to essentially do sort of epi- an episodic take of the graphic novel where we went through different characters, character arcs, and they kind of took the focus for a portion of the story. So then the, the shift uh, format-wise was like, well, we'll just do that as one-shots. And then it kind of comes together. Um, but so, you know, ideally we want to at least tell kind of that main story uh, that we came up with, which like is only really hinted at in this first issue. Um, because with the first issue, it felt a little bit more like, let's really go all out on a really entertaining 20 pages. And then if, if people like that enough, then we can start going, all right, let's set up the, a little bit more of the pieces for the larger story. But, um, but yeah, so, so the hope is, you know, at least 80 pages eventually. And then, um, you know, if people are interested, would love to do more. I mean, I think, I think (laughs) Julie and I have like a lot of affection for these characters at this point, which, which I always think is like a hokey thing when I hear people say in interviews, but, but I don't know, it's, it's very true at this point. (laughs) Well, that was going to be my next question was to ask about the characters because we've, you've talked about them sort of uh, like briefly and, you Mm -hmm. know, just, Mm -hmm. just sort of in a, in an ambiguous way. And if you want to keep it that way, I completely understand. But um, if you wouldn't mind just uh, just giving like a brief character description of each of them, um, the names are Irvin or Ervin, Irvin, yeah, Irvin, Larry, Hazel, and Hadia. Mm-hmm. Um, so er, I'm guessing Irvin and Larry are the two brothers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they're they're kind of like um, um, Irvin. Irvin's like a little bit more. He's the older brother. He's a little bit more of like a jock. He's a basketball player. Okay. Larry is a little bit more of a bookworm. 
And uh, for me, like I, I was, I like I was like the comics reading basketball player growing up. So like I felt okay. like not only was I tapping into my relationship with my brother and years of going, you know, like just living with a brother and and kind of knowing like that that bickering, but also that love and all that. Um, but uh, it was also this thing of like I was like, all right, let's tap into a little bit of the two 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 aspects of my psyche and awesome. give them to two different characters and and then you know and then it just go through kid stuff you know they kind of are interested in stuff they they're both weird in their own rights they're both interested in, in different things and and yet they both have affection for each other and that's kind of what we're delving into with this first issue hazel hazel is our skeptic of the group okay. um she's like we'll get into it in future stories but like she her she's like from roswell other people are new to roswell she's from roswell so she's been so inundated with this stuff for years she doesn't believe anything. She's she really like needs to see it to believe it. And uh, a lot of what we get into with her, we want to get into with her character eventually is this aspect of belief. You know, mm. is is she is she stuck in her ways? Is she willing to entertain uh, the idea that something exists out there that that she can't explain, or that you know her her parents or or whoever have told her doesn't exist? Can she can she change that view? How is she gonna figure out what she thinks? And um, and a lot of what that's going to also get to is where does she find kind of her faith? Is it is it in something? Uh, is it in the supernatural? Is it in her friends? Is it in her family? Um, and so we're going to get into that with her character eventually. And then Hidea is kind of our um, when we were kind of talking about our uh, you know Scooby Doo comparison. She's kind of our Shaggy. She's uh, <laughs> she's she's and and there'll be a bit more depth to her than Shaggy, which we'll get to uh, down the line. But it's kind of one of those things where it's like, all right, she's really she really like believes in her friends and she trusts her friends and loves her friends. But what more is going on there? And and she's a little veiled about it. And it's going to kind of her story when we get to it is going to be a little bit more about like, why is she a little bit veiled? Her friends mm -hmm. care about her. So why can't she open up to them a little bit? What's she afraid of? And so we'll kind of get into some of that. So, but yeah, all of this is stuff like we kind of, Julie and I talked for a long time and, and I was like drawing on my editor experience. Cause when I would help people build pitches or go through pitches, I was always like, well, we need to know what's at the root of these characters, or at least what we want to explore with these characters. And so that's a lot of the conversations me and Julie had. And then I would throw something out and she'd go, you know, based on my experience, that seems a little, you know, false. Let's try something like this. And, and it was great because it was like, we'd be like, what about this? And then she'd say, what about this? And I'd be like, you know, I, I've got a friend who might be able to give us some insight. Let's talk to him real quick. Um, and so the hope was, and the hope is, you know, that, that they're characters that feel very genuine. And, and that was something that, you know, I think any, any creator wants to do with their characters is make the characters as genuine as possible. But I think for us, uh, whether it was subconscious or conscious at some point, I think knowing we were going to talk to kind of kids and adults in a broad audience, we're like, well, if this seems uh slapped together it's not going to resonate so let's uh let's put some time into it and thankfully that was you know fun time to put into the project so. so um it seems like a lot of your time as an editor um in in looking at other people's stories has informed the way that you're able to tell stories what are some of the uh the common mistakes that you see people make when they um either create a pitch or they they start on a story Sure. Um, the biggest one that I feel like I coach people against is, is trying to go like too big too soon. Um, a thing that I would see a lot in pitches that would, was always an immediate turnoff to me would be when people would be like, all right, let me set up for you the world. And they would kind of be like, here's what the politics are. Here's the world events that have shaped this situation. And that's all good stuff to have on hand. 
But what I always found it kind of was a, always felt like a bit of a smokescreen when I'd be like, all right, well, what drives the story? And it'd be like, oh, well, it'd be the difference between this and this and how that influences the whole world. And it's like, you know, a different economy in the world is, is an interesting idea to have in the background of a story. But it's hard to get people excited about like, well, what if our economy was based around, you know, trading livestock instead of currency or you know, whatever it is, you know, it's like that would that would absolutely have an effect on the world you're telling a story in. But that's not really going to hook someone on when they have, you know, 10 to 20 other new number ones to choose from each week. Mm-hmm. And so I always kind of come back to that same thing, it, talking about the character arcs and all that. It's like, well, why do people care? What's What are they going to see in this? What's the story about? And people can understand a story about um, people trying to do things. I think Saga, obviously Saga is very successful, but I also think it has like kind of the best first couple pages in recent memory in my mind of really setting up the stakes of the story when they're giving birth, this couple is giving birth to their kids and you can see they're visibly different than each other. And you can see they have, they've had a kid together and immediately you go, Oh, there's going to be conflict here, you Mm -hmm. know, and they had a kid and that's hard. And why are they not in the hospital? They're on the run. Okay. What's going on? You know, like that's, and that's the thing you can relate to. Like the rest of the stuff in that book is, is all fun and interesting and good. But at the heart of it, you're like, all right, these people are, a team and they have a family and they've got to figure out what to do with that. And that's something, you know, much more relatable than being in like a sci-fi future war. <laughs> to most <Yeah>. people. <laughs> so again, I think maybe, or maybe um, I'm trying to think this through, but is it like uh, trying to find that uh, happy medium between like a really cool story and like relatable characters that you're, you're invested in and you want to see, see the outcomes uh, from them? Yeah, I always I always kind of recommend to people like I think I think you have to have the elevator pitch, right? Like you have to have like that one or two lines that really like differentiates the story in a way. Now whether that is, you know, I I pick pick like any book, but like it's like, "Oh, well they're they're pirates, but they're in space." Or, you know, like they're robbing a bank, but it turns out the or a high concept I love from this book is a little older at this point, but uh Ghosted by Josh Williamson. It's like, "Oh, it's a heist comic." but it's people trying to steal a ghost from a haunted house. Like that's a cool idea. That's a really Mm -hmm. cool idea. Um, And that in and of itself, you're like, okay, cool. Tell me more. Um, And I think you need that. You need something to hook an editor, an audience, something that's unique and sounds, sounds like, all right, I'm going to pick this up and investigate it more, you know, or whatever it is. But I think once you get past that, once you get past kind of the initial idea, then you have to have like, okay, who are my characters? Why do people care about these characters? And so I, as an editor, always love to see uh, a little bit on the character arcs in a pitch. And in a pitch document, you usually only have one to two pages. So sometimes that is hard to go into as much as possible. But I, you know, it's like you get, I like seeing themes. Um, and even if that theme is like friendship or forgiveness or whatever, it's like, okay, cool. It's a book about forgiveness all right, my characters are these characters. I have a little bit of an understanding of this person is angry with this one. They need to figure out why this person is trying to win forgiveness. Why are they trying so hard for that? Whatever it is, those are kind of the engines I feel like that drive story a little bit more. And then the plot and that high concept and what happens are what makes like the challenges of those people finding that kind of resolution to their character arc interesting. You know, it's, it's, it's not, oh, I just got to call somebody up and uh, meet them at the diner and have a face to face, you know, which is what you'd probably do in person to resolve conflict. 
It's like, oh, now there's, now there's, you know, uh, like tremors, right? I love tremors. <laughs> but it's like, you know, it's like, well, why is, why is, uh, why is Val still in town? You know, he's, he's like, he's, he's latched onto the small town. And then all of a sudden the tremors are the small town that the small town is trying to kill him. You know, it's like this big metaphor, but you know, that's what gets in the way. He can't leave the small town because of the tremors. So let's, mm -hmm. let's investigate why he's still in the small town while it, you know, the ground of the small town tries to eat him essentially. So wow. I've never thought of tremors that way. <laughs> I clearly have, I've thought too much about tremors maybe. Oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, so with elevator pitches, um, do you find that like uh, it's it's better to go with the this meets this, you know, like 24 meets uh, Battlestar Galactica or like, you know, like I, if I think of something like Bone Parish, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but like people get the abilities from um, snorting the, the, the remains of, of, of dead people. Like, so if you were like looking for an elevator pitch, would you prefer the, this meets this, or would you like to have that, 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 like that defined concept? So my, my advice is to do both. Okay. <laughs> I think, so what I like, and the way I format pitches, which is not perfect. I mean, and there's no right way essentially every editor at every publisher is looking for something kind of different. There's not really any uniform way. Like when you get into like Marvel and DC, then it's a little bit more structured because they need to see particular things. Hmm. But, um, but what I, what I often like to do is <clears throat> put both of those things in there in some way. And I find a, a thing that I recommend a lot when people are pitching is um, keep it short, like keep your initial pitch, like one page because you know, it's, it's rough when you're, when you're an editor, you get so many emails, you're so busy, you're working 50 hour weeks on however many books. And then you're trying to, you know, check out potentially find a new project. And if you're, if you send someone like a five page pitch and like the really good stuff's on page five, no one's ever going to see it, mm -hmm. you know, like put together a good one pager, get together all of like the most like force this editor to read more stuff on one page and so, you know, it's like, I think a good elevator pitch that's like one or two lines that are very specific to your story is great. But I also think whether you do it as like a subtitle on the pitch or, you know, however you want to format it, there's a lot of ways where I feel like you can also throw in like uh, it's this meets this, mm -hmm. which is good because another thing too, that like all editors are eventually going to have to pitch up the ladder at their publisher is comparative titles to any pitch they bring forward which is basically similar books that they can go, okay, we think this is going to find a similar audience. We can look at books with that audience as a potential way to build out print runs, or determine if there is enough of a, an audience. And then it's also part of the marketing thing. I mean, if you look at every single image press release these days, the last couple of lines are like influenced by this. It's this meets this. Um, yeah. And, and, it, and it, they do it because it works, you know, like there's yeah. so much media out right now. Um, if you were to sit down and read every like, you know, uh, synopsis of a book in previews, it would take you forever. Whereas if you're flipping through and you go, Oh, that's a cool cover. Oh, and it's stranger things meets, you know, uh, you know, the sword in the stone. Cool. Let's go. Let's do it. <clears throat> so, but I think the thing is pitching, pitching is like your first level of marketing your book. It's just doing it to an editor instead of an audience. Mm -hmm. And it's the same process of like, okay, how do you, how do you, obviously your story potentially is maybe hundreds of pages of information in your head about where these characters are going to start, where they're going to go and all that. But 
to really distill it down, which is hard, you know, like taking, taking your grand idea and, and making it one page is challenging, mm-hmm. but realistically that's what an editor has time for. And, and if you look at like going back to Kickstarters, right? Like that's your Kickstarter page. It's like, you've got like 500 words maybe to try and sell people on the comic and a little art. Like you don't have any in Kickstarters. You, you have a video as well. Right. Which, which gives you a little bit more, but you're not, you're not really going to be able to put down a thousand, 2000, 3000 words and go, well, here's all of the things that make it great. Please read it. You're like, you need to hook people quick because no one has time to, to read like a 5,000 word synopsis of the, you know, eventual hundreds of pages of stories you want to do. So yeah. True. In today's world, it's the uh, too, too long, didn't read, you know, you gotta, you gotta get in there. You gotta, you gotta show them some, some stuff. And, uh, you know, like that tagline on Kickstarter is like, what, like 135 characters. So yeah, it's you, short. you have to, you have to get to the point. Well, and it's funny. I was actually looking at, uh, I think it was like the projects we love page for comics, just seeing what was on there. And what I thought was kind of amazing is I feel like nine out of 10 of the books or, you know, whatever it was, four out of five, something like that. A lot of them had a little synopsis that, that ran on to an ellipsis. And so you didn't even get on that little landing page where you have like a, a image and a title and then a little bit of extra information. All of them were like half a sentence basically that then ran on, which if you're on their individual Kickstarter page, great. There it is. You know, you got it, mm-hmm. but it kind of like, and I, I work as like my day job. I, I'm a marketing copywriter. And so it's always this thing of like, well, how do you, you got to get people information quick. Like you can't, you can't bury something at the end of a paragraph or even sometimes at the end of a sentence, you got to start with the most interesting thing and you really need to understand the the medium people are going to view it. You know, like when it comes to writing like an email, you've got however many characters before your subject line gets cut off and then you get that little snippet afterwards, maybe. So you've you've only got like you know, 50 characters to put in a few words that are going to draw people's attention and maybe make them open that email. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very similar process when it comes to pitching, when it comes to marketing your comics, it's like, you got to get the good stuff right up front. So if like, and every time now I'm getting a little rambling, but it's like, um, when a book, when a book, like when I can't figure out what a book is in like, you know, a, like whatever initial, uh, stuff is available for it. I'm like, well, what, why would I grab this? You know, if the cell is immediately like new book by creator, you love, you're like, cool, I'll keep reading or I won't. I already love this creator. Mm-hmm. But if you're not that creator, which like, you know, I'm not, I don't have like a fan following. Um, and so you have to go like, okay, well, how do I get people to, to get hooked on this immediately? And on our Kickstarter, you'll see like, it's like, it's Scooby-Doo meets X-Files with heavyweights, you know? Also, <laughs> it's a spooky summer camp story about friendship, you know? Like, we're doing as much as we can to pack, like, a lot of uh, touch points for people to go, oh, cool, I like that. Maybe I'll keep reading this a little bit more. And then maybe I'll see another thing I like, and then maybe I'll kick these guys 5 10 $15, you know? Very cool. That's so, good advice because you you have to be in touch with what you like in order to make those kinds of pitches. So it all comes back to creating something that you want to see in the world. So that I think is a great philosophy when you're creating anything in general. Yeah. And I feel like, um, I feel like there's often a conversation where it's like, should I figure out how to make something marketable or should I figure out how to market something that I really want to do? Mm. And Mm-hmm. I think at least, and this is my opinion, I'm sure you'd get people that would argue this both ways, but I think it's kind of the same process. 
You know, it's like if you're only thinking about your story and not at any point thinking about how someone might relate to it, then you're not going to, it's going to be hard to sell that book. It's going to be hard to even tell the story that resonates with anyone besides yourself. You know, like obviously if you're telling a story that you don't connect with at all because you're just trying to do something marketable, then yeah, maybe there's an audience because it's, you know, a zombie romance novel or whatever, but then is it like going to be a good story at all? And so I think the process is kind of wrapped up together where it's like, if you can be pretty critical of what you're doing and go, okay, why do I want to tell this story? Why do I want to do something with these characters? Um, and like, I think our comic as an example, right? Like Julie and I love these stories about monsters. I have loads of summer camp stories. I wanted to tell all sorts of little fodder for like storytelling there. And I'm like, and why do I want to do that? Cause there are aspects of it. That's fun. And at the root of it, like summer camp for me, obviously a huge influence on the book. I was like a different kid before I went to summer camp, summer camp, like built some of like the, the earliest best friendships in my life. Summer camp built confidence in me that like I would be a different person without. And whether it's, whether that experience is summer camp, whether it's, you know, uh, some summer vacation trip that did whatever, I feel like a lot of kids stories that are, that are well done tap into that same thing of like, okay, how did, how did events like this that I really have nostalgia for and love and want to tell stories about, how did they affect me and make me a better person or the person I am or, or teach me something about who I am? And whether it's, you know, a gritty detective story or, or a kid's book, I feel like if you can kind of get to the heart of some of that stuff, uh, it's often better, uh, at least usually. <laughs> oh, that's a beautiful, beautiful, uh, beautiful statement right there. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so this is this is all very exciting, and I, I think we can see like how you're taking the various aspects of your career and and combining them to to get to the point to 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 make uh, to make this uh, comic and kickstart it. Um, Noah, do you have any uh, final questions here before we uh, we wrap this up? No, I don't think so. I mean, really, like, and I appreciate you guys having me on. This is this has been a lot of fun to talk about. I mean, if you can mix a little bit of promotion with like just in-depth conversations about <laughs> comics as a medium and why stories resonate. Like that's, that's a conversation I always want to have. So uh, thank you guys. And uh, I think other than that, you know, it's just um, Julie's an amazing collaborator. It's been, it's been a blast working with her. It's been so fun, like getting this out there in front of people a little bit more. And I just hope people, uh, give, give it a look, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I think the writing's not bad, but, but the art is awesome. So at least check that out. <laughs> and then hopefully, you know, we get to do a lot more of it. I think it's, uh, it's one of those things where, uh, what I'm finding is this is probably the longest I've maybe ever worked on a single project, um, straight through. Cause we've been pretty much like, you know, doing, doing things here and there for, for over a year now. And, uh, and, and it is like, I just, uh, I don't want to stop doing it. <laughs> Good, man. That's so awesome. It's been great to talk to you about this. Like you said, we, we love have we do this show to talk to people like you who want to talk about their work and also the greater, uh, goal of telling a good story at the same time. So thank you so much for coming on and, uh, yeah. And, and, and enlightening us as into your process. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you guys.
Yeah, this has been pretty interesting because this is one of the first times that we've had anybody who's sort of had any sort of editorial role. So this has been a different aspect for us. You know, we've had a lot of writers, a lot of a lot of artists. So you, you've brought a different aspect to this. Um, why don't you let people know where they can find you online and um, so they can they can keep up with the Kickstarter? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my my kind of online stuff is all unified. I'm on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, both as the Jim Gibbons dot uh, the Jim Gibbons, and then my website is thejimgibbons.com. dot com. Mm-hmm. I have a newsletter you can sign up for there, which is um, uh, mostly trying to impart a little bit of my insight as someone who worked at a publisher for a long time and has edited a bunch, and just kind of get that into you know whatever it is. If it's helpful, hopefully it's helpful. Um, but try and put that out there because uh, you know I don't know pay it forward a little bit, I guess, whatever it might do. Um, and then, uh, the Kickstarter on Kickstarter, uh, it's camp bitter Lake on Kickstarter. I think the URL is slightly unruly, <laughs> but, uh, if you search for, if you go to any of my social media, you'll find like a, about a half dozen, well, probably a couple dozen at this point links to it. So, um, and we're just, we're just 28, we got 28 days. We're only two days in, so we have 28 days left. So if you're interested, uh, check it out, please. Very cool. Yeah. And I'm a, uh, I'm a newsletter subscriber, so I can speak to the, to the, to the value of that. Oh, that I appreciate that. I, sometimes I wonder if it helps anyone and, and, and yet, uh, I've heard from a few people it does, which is (laughs) really nice. Um, so thank you. Awesome. So, um, I actually have a bit of a new segment here. It's called, uh, plug life. So I'm going to do a couple of plugs here. Um, uh, in the spirit of running Kickstarters, uh, I'm running a Kickstarter right now. It's uh, it's for it's a comic called The Reset. Uh, Noah is also part of the creative team on that, and uh, I'm going to shout out uh, Caleb Plumquist, who is running a Kickstarter for a small favor, uh, The Undying Soldier Number One. Uh, that's on Kickstarter. So I'm going to have links to all three Kickstarters we mentioned here in in the show notes. Um, and if anybody wants to give us a follow, we're on Twitter um, at Construct Compod. We're on Instagram at Constructing Comics Pod. And we're on Facebook at Facebook forward slash Constructing Comics. We have a YouTube channel uh, under the same name of Constructing Comics where we do some of our more visually heavy um, episodes. And uh, uh, we'll have links to all of that stuff in the show notes. I'd like to thank everybody for listening and everybody go out there and make some comics and we'll be back very soon with another episode. Thank you.